Our Heavenly Father, we bow before You. We thank You for this opportunity to come to You in prayer. Lord, I know that there are people that are hurting here in the congregation, um, and I pray for them. I lift them up and I pray Your blessings and healing on them. Father, I pray that their lives will be forever altered by Your Spirit and that, God, You could just invade their lives in a refreshing way. And Father, make Yourself real to each one of us. Lord, we... We know that you are and we trust you, but Lord, I pray for intervention. I pray that you would just invade their lives in a way that they've never never experienced before and that you would work miraculously in the lives of every individual that is here. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, why don't we all take our seats? You know, it's been said that the, the way the family goes is going to be the way the nation goes because the family is the core of any society, and uh, the condition of the family is of utmost importance to God. God cares about families. I think that's the reason why the family comes under such a violent, satanic attack so often. We look at uh, what's going on in the world, like abortion. Well, abortion is just an attack on family. Immorality and um, adultery and the divorce and everything is just an attack on family. Child abuse. Uh, spousal abuse, all of this is an attack on family. The government trying to intervene and tell parents what they can and can't do, that's an attack on family. Everything that happens seems to undermine the authority and uh, the work of parents in the lives of their families. God is the one that says to us how a family is to function. Now this is very important, so listen to this very carefully. Every family is different. You need to understand that. Every person who comes and gets married and starts a family is different. They have differing personalities. They have differing backgrounds. Some of us were abused. Some of us were raised in in godly homes. Some were, as Jeff just told us, uh, involved in addiction. Others weren't. We all have differing personalities, different backgrounds, differing spiritual depths and understanding differing worldviews, and yet every one of us are told in Scripture that this is the way the family is to be. And there are no exceptions. God doesn't say, well, except for you because of what you've been through. No, He says, this is your role, this is your responsibility, this is how you are to function within the family in order that the family would accomplish what I want it to do. So each one of us, regardless of who we are, regardless of our background, has a specific role to carry out in our family. And this is of utmost importance that we understand that. Now today what we're going to be doing as we are continuing along in this study of Ephesians is that we are beginning to look at families. And we're going to look at the biblical role and responsibility of each member of the family. We're going to look at what God says. And my encouragement to you as we go through this for the next, uh, maybe the next couple months, I don't know, but um, is that you begin to understand what it is that God wants and you make a decision that whether you are married yet or not or whether um, you're contemplating that or whether you're in a good marriage or bad marriage, whatever it may be, that you make a fresh commitment that you are going to live life God's way, that you are going to do life the way that God has told you to do with the expectation that if I do that, then God is going to bless and when God bless, God blesses, then, then life changes. It really does. And God can take the biggest mess there is of, of a life or a marriage that you have made, 
and God can straighten it out. But it does take work, and I keep telling you this. Life as a Christian is all about choices. We choose to live a way in which we, whatever it is that we choose, but whether if we don't choose what to live as God has told us, then we are subject to the consequences that come from that because of the disobedience that comes from that. So we're going to be looking at the biblical roles and responsibilities. We're going to talk about some practical applications of, of what does that look like and how does that work in a family. And today we're going to begin with the wife, not because uh, she needs it more, but because she's first in line here in the scriptures. And so we're going to be looking at that. Before we get to this passage, I want to look at the context, because the context is very important in understanding any passage. I want to go back to the verse we looked at last week. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And he says here, Paul said, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And if you recall, if you were here, we looked at this, and we talked about what it meant to be filled with the Spirit. It's talking about control. Um, if I told you or said to you that you were filled with anger or filled with lust or whatever, filled with love, basically what I'm saying is that you're being controlled by it. In, in this particular passage, that's what he's talking about. He's saying instead of being filled and controlled by things like wine or something outside, he said, allow the Spirit of God to do that. Allow the Spirit of God to control your life. And so that's the challenge here. But I wanted you to look and think about the next two verses, 19 and 20, because in that he gives a description of what it looks like in your life. When you are allowing the Spirit of God to lead and control you, then this is what it looks like. He goes on to say you're speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and giving thanks. And notice these are all participles in, in the language. He's saying speaking and giving and singing. In other words, it's a, the way in which you display what it means to be filled by the Spirit. The Spirit fills and controls you, and this is the outcome. This is what happens. Now, we all too often in the context stop there, uh, like I did last week on purpose, but we need to pick verse 21 up and put it in that context. For example, let me show you. Verse 21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, if you have a King James Bible, you'll notice that it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's the original. That's what it should say. In other words, it's a continuation of verses 19 and 20. Now, this is important, so just listen and pay attention, okay? When you are controlled or led by the Spirit of God, then the outcome of that or the result is you're going to be singing and you're going to be praising God, you're going to be giving thanks to God, and you're going to be submitting to one another. That's part of it. That's part of what happens when a Christian allows the Spirit of God to take control and to lead their lives. They begin to submit to one another in relationships that they have. Now, with that in mind, let's jump then, because this passage today and the remainder of the, of the book, really, is just a way in which he's saying, okay, when God leads, when God controls, then this is what you do. And so for the wife, he's going to be saying that you are to submit or be in the process of submitting to your husband. 
husbands, you're going to be loving your wives and so forth. But in this passage, let's look and see what it says. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. So let me read this together. He says, submit to one another, or submitting to one another, out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. His body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Now, there it is. A lot of pastors have fallen on this passage of Scripture, been tomatoed and egged and, and, uh, you know, looked at in various ways and called all kind of names. I've been in ministry for 35 years, and I've preached this passage numerous times and got numerous responses. I have had women angry, so angry at me because they misunderstand what this is saying. They don't understand it. I've had counseling sessions where men and women have come in for counseling, and the wife is just livid, and her, she's angry at God because she doesn't understand what God is saying or why he's saying it. So this is what I want to do today to try to help you to understand this passage. Put it in context of the scriptures and the context of your life. Because you need to understand what it does and does not say. Now I want to share with you three things real quick here as part of the, the message as we get started here. And, and these are three facts about submission, talking to the wife now, that you need to understand. Three facts that you need to understand. Now listen to them. Number one is this, that every Christian relationship is one of submission. Every Christian relationship is one of submission. You have to see that in this context. Now let me dive back into this verse again, 21. He says, verse 21, submitting to one another. But notice as he goes down. Wives, in verse 22, submit to your own husbands. This is what happens when you yield to the Spirit. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives. See, this is how the husband submits to the wife. Not the feeling of love, and we'll talk about this next week, but the, the actions of love, the kindness that I show, the way that I deal with her, the way that I help her, the way that I, I nurture her, all of these things, are. this is the way I submit to her, as God has told me to do. Children, obey your parents in verse 1 of chapter 6. That's how children are to submit in this church, this society. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, in verse 4. This is how a father submits to his child, by the way in which he deals with the child and brings the child up. So he, in, in effect, is submitting to the child. Now, guys, if you think that a parent doesn't submit to a child, then you don't have a toddler. You know, you know you submit. You give in, you yield, you just throw your hands up, you know. But that's what it takes. And then he goes on to say, in example, in verse 5, he says, Slaves, obey your masters. That's how, in that culture, a slave, and that's a whole other subject, not like we had here in this country, but slavery in the Bible is quite different. But he's saying, submit to them. Yield to them. And he goes on to say in verse 9, In masters, you treat your slaves in a godly fashion. That's how you submit to them. So the whole thing about submission goes across the board for all of us. We are all submitting in different ways to each other, putting others first, nurturing, caring for people, and dealing with people. And a lot of times that means that, means that you give up your time and your effort and your life, your, your 
you're sacrificing in order to do that. But within the family, dealing with the wife, he says here that wives are are to submit themselves to their own husbands. And notice what he says here, out of reverence to Christ. In other words, we do it out of reverence to Christ in verse 21. And he just follows right on through. Every one of these situations where a person is told to submit in their relationship, they're doing it as unto the Lord. Okay, this is what God wants. I will choose to live my life God's way instead of my way because I know that God has his best in mind for me. And only God can bring about what I would really want. And I say that because you may think you know what you want in marriage, but God knows what you want and what you need. And when I submit to him and out of reverence for him, I submit in these different relationships to be the person that God has told me to be, then God blesses. And you'll see miraculous things happen. Marriages are restored simply because we fulfill the role that God has given us. So every Christian relationship is one of submission. Now here's the second one. It's very important. So listen carefully, okay? In the eyes of God, men and women are equal in every way. Write it down, guys, because I'm going to tell you something. You'll be amazed at the number of women who think that the concept of biblical submission means that they are inferior to man, that they are not as important, they are, they're, they're not as valued. And see, this is the reaction, the knee-jerk reaction that women usually have in the discussion of biblical submission of a wife because they think in their minds that means that I am not as important, that I am second-class citizen in the eyes of God. Well, is that really true? Well, that's something we need to look at. There are two ways in which man man and women are equal in two big ways, and I want to share those with you. Number one is in creation. They are equal in every way by the way they were created and what God said. Now, this is important. So watch, okay? This is we're going back to Genesis now because in Genesis chapter one, look at what God said and what God did. In Genesis chapter one, verses twenty-seven and twenty-eight, watch. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them. And said to them, be, faith, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, a couple of things that are important that you see here, okay? Number one, it says that God created mankind in his own image. Male and female, he created them both in his image. Now, what does that mean? If you go back into the Genesis creation story, you find that God created Adam out of the dust of the ground. And, God, and Adam functioned there in the Garden of Eden for a while until God noticed that Adam was lonely. And that the, the work was uh, too big for him. So God created Eve out of his rib and the dust of the ground and he created a woman. He brought her to him. And the Bible said that she was to be his helper. I remember that in the Garden of Eden, sin had not entered yet. And so there they lived, man and woman, both created in the image of God, 
And when God created Eve and God created Adam, the Bible says that in his image he created two different genders. People are always asking, is God male or female? Neither. God is God. You can't limit him to a gender. But when he created Adam, there were certain attributes about God that he instilled in the man. And when he created Eve, there were certain attributes about God that he instilled in the woman. And so both male and female together give you a picture of who God is. And it was a limited degree, mind you, but a picture of who God is. So, yeah, does God have feminine attributes? Yeah, because he created Eve in his own image. See, this is important because sometimes we think that God is male because of all the masculine pronouns that talk about him. He did this, he did that. And granted, but when you really talk about the essence of God and who he is, you can't limit God to a gender. He's just too big for that. But in the eyes of God, they were created equally, male and female, both out of the, of the uh, attributes of God. But then he goes on to say this. He says, not only that, but God blessed them. Now, I'm looking at verse 28. God blessed them, both of them, and he said to them, be fruitful, increase, and fill the earth and rule over it. Wait a minute now. Adam and Eve were given together the responsibility to rule the earth. This was before sin ever entered. Now I can just imagine, and I don't know how long this went on for before old Satan got a hold of Eve, but you know, for some period of time they worked together in harmony. They weren't fallen. There was no depravity yet. And there they were, created in innocence, working together and loving each other and trusting each other and working about naming the animals and caring for the garden of God and doing whatever God said, and they did it in perfect harmony. How? Because sin hadn't entered. Nobody was selfish yet. Nobody was proud and arrogant yet. It was coming, but it wasn't there yet. So they did it in harmony. And I can just imagine they're sitting there talking and discussing things and and. Adam is listening to Eve, and she's sharing her input and her wisdom, and he's, she's listening to him, and they come to a decision and make a decision, and we, yeah, we'll call that an elephant. You know, we'll do this. We'll care for the garden this way. We'll do whatever. But they did it together. And this was God's original intent in the way in which he created them. And so, yeah, they're created equally. And there's another way they were created equal, or they are equal, I should say. And that is in salvation. Now watch this. In Galatians 3.28 it says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now what he's talking about is this. Paul's saying this is how God sees you in this church relationship, this, this family of God, as you come together as believers, that you're both equal. God doesn't prefer one over the other. God doesn't think one is more important or more more valuable. You were both sinners. You came to Christ and were saved by the blood of Christ equally together. But then sin entered. And that's where things start to get a little fuzzy. And that messed up everything. But people say, and I hear it all the time, about The Bible is old and antiquated and it teaches that women are subservient to men. 
No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. You can't find that. You know, people say, well, um, Christianity has just has kept women down. No, it hasn't. Society has. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and man began to sprout out over the earth, man began to subjugate woman because she was weaker. Man began to enslave women because they were weaker. They became property. They were bought and sold. They were uh, of no value because it seemed like the man just overwhelmed her. That was not God's intention. God didn't do that. Society did that. And when Christianity came on the scene, Christianity elevated the place of women in society like no other religion ever had to where God says, there's neither male nor female with me. You're both equal in Christ. Islam sure doesn't do that. Judaism doesn't do that. But Christianity does. And so in the eyes of God, men and women are created equal. They are equal in every way. Now here's where you get down to explaining then what is this passage talking about. And here's what it means. Now watch. Number three is this. In marriage, the wife places herself under her husband's leadership. Now what do you mean she places herself? All right, think about this. God says, here's the role of the husband. He's to love his wife, and we'll talk about that next week. But here's the role of the wife, that she is to submit to her husband as the leader of the home. Now, what do you mean she, she voluntarily goes along with that? Well, very simple. She chose to marry him. How is it, you know, we, this is what we think. We think, well, this is teaching that women are subject to men. No, it's not. As a woman living in this day and age, more so than ever before in any age of, 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 of history, women are free to do what they want. They can live the way they want. They can experience the things that men experience. They can do things they were never allowed to do by society in the past. And now you have the freedom to do that. And you have the freedom to remain single and live your life and govern your life the way you want to. But, if you choose to marry, God says, here's how it is to be done. It has nothing to do with equality. It has nothing to do with importance or value. It has to do with you coming into a relationship now and you are both sinners. Saved by the blood of Christ, but still fallen. And you know as well as I do that people, whether they're Christian or not, sometimes in their life, Envy raises its ugly head. Pride raises its head. Jealousy. Everything. And within a marriage relationship, if that raises its ugly head, it can destroy a marriage. So in order for there to be some degree of peace within the family, then God said, this is the way I want you to do it. It's not because I devalue you, woman, it is because I'm trying to protect the family. And that is really uh, this, this uh, question that I wanted to ask here. Why does God tell wives to submit? And there's two reasons. This is the first one, for the stability in the family, to preserve the family. You've got two different people, fallen, sinful people, pulling in different directions within the family. It will destroy the family. 
How do you make a decision in a family when two stubborn people are trying to control the events of life? And God understood this, and God said, if that is the case, then the family will, it will dissolve. So in order to protect the family, I'm telling you to do it this way. Woman, if you choose this man to marry, you understand that you are voluntarily putting yourself in this position. It's your choice. You don't have to marry him. But if you do, this is what I'm telling you to do. That you allow him to be the leader. He's to be the leader. Now, in our family, Deb and I, we got married early. I've told you before, I think she was 18, I was 19, or something like that. I mean, we're, we're young. And so, you know, I'm not advocating that. So you moms and dads, don't, say, don't, don't let your children say, well, Pastor Dave did it. No, don't, don't do that. But we went through the, the same problems that every other married couple goes through in the beginning of their marriage. Um, fortunately, we went into Bible college and ministry at an early part of our, our marriage, and we learned, see, we learned these truths, and it has made a difference in our lives. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't get that opportunity. They don't hear it in church, and they go through and they struggle through their marriage. But we did this, and, and i got to tell you, you know, one of the things when we first started, and Deb will tell you the same thing, we almost divorced over a pair of socks. You see, my mama always picked up my socks. I would drop my socks, socks beside the bed or in the bathroom, and mom always picked them up and put them in the dirty clothes. Well, Deborah informs me she's not doing that. I said, well, what do you mean you're not doing that? Mama did it. So are you. We'll see. I had socks piling up, you know, in, the, in a pile there. She was as stubborn as I was. You know, and what I get on, maybe, maybe God was in this. I hope that this was the case. But I finally decided to pick up my socks because she wasn't giving in. Well, you got two strong-willed people trying to function and trying to raise a family and, and all of this. And, and so, yeah, if, for example, Deborah hadn't at a very early age now in our marriage began to hear and to understand and sit under the, 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 the guiding counsel of some godly women that helped her to understand, then we would probably ended up in divorce. But early on, she understood, you know what, this is what God wants me to do. And so it went with something like this, and it still does to this day. We have a decision to make, and we each have our opinions, and we sit down and talk about it. We talk it through, we evaluate it, we discuss anything on our hearts, we pray about this, and we'll come back at it again later on. We'll keep doing this until we come to a decision. If we don't come to a decision based upon unity, then usually here's what God, she says. She says, well, you're the head of the home. You make the decision. When it blows up in your face, you can, be the answer, you can answer to God for this, okay? Wait a minute. Where's the teamwork here, you know? But you know what? She's right. Now listen, because me and you need to hear this, because as the head of the home, you had better be listening to your wife because God created her in his image and God gave her to you as a compliment, like Eve was to Adam, to help you in your stupidity. You understand that? And guys and gals, let me just say that we are stupid. We'll admit that. And my wife has over and over the years proven herself wise more times than I can count. And I trust her judgment and her opinions. And I would be a fool 
to disregard that because I'm prideful and arrogant and want things my way. God said, I gave her to you for this purpose. And I told her to submit to your leadership, so you better make the right decisions. And bottom line, that's what it comes down to. I mean, you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to leave the family. You're going to have to determine what's best. And the wife, according to what God has told her, is to submit to that and say, okay, you're the decision maker. We'll go with that. And so this is what submission is all about. It's not about equality. It's not about value. It's about just the logistics of the family. And that for a family to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish, then somebody has to be accountable for the decision. And guys, that's you. And that is a tremendous responsibility. And I don't think we fully understand that. Because when we get to heaven and God, and I'm not sure how all of this works when we get to heaven, but when God begins to question you about the, the way you did and the things you chose to do and all of this, you can't turn back and say, Eve made me do it. Yeah, you can't do that because Eve said it's up to you. And so you are accountable. And this is a tremendous responsibility. And a loving, godly wife will understand that and allow this to take place because she understands her role in the marriage and what God has told her to do. So why does God tell wives to submit? For the stability of the family. But here's a second reason. Because of the testimony to the lost. The testimony to the lost. Now watch this verse. This is Paul writing to Titus, this young pastor, and he's writing and telling Titus that you are to teach the older women how to teach the younger women all the things that they should know. So we're picking it up in the middle of that thought. Chapter 2, verse 5 of Titus. He's saying that you are to teach the women to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that... No one will malign the Word of God. Now you see that? Nobody's going to look and say, that Christianity doesn't work. Look at these Christians. Now see, this is the sad part about Christianity today. Christianity today. And that is because we are divorcing as Christians over foolish things. We're allowing things to come between us. And we, in essence, are maligning or allowing the Word of God to be maligned. And so this is why it's important that we understand our role in marriage. Unfortunately, selfish people still mess up God's ideals. We just do. And that's why I started with this idea that, you know what? It all hinges on you and your willingness to be led of the Spirit. Because when you are led of the Spirit, then you will submit in the ways in which God has given you to do that, whether male or female. And when we get to this next week, men, you need to understand the tremendous burden on you because you are called to love a woman that may be unlovable. What does that look like? Well, we're going to talk about that. But women today, this is what God is telling you to do. Now, before we end, I want to share, and I'm speaking primarily to the younger girls, okay? Teenage girls. You who are not married and are hoping or expecting to be married one day, maybe even considering marriage, I hear I've, give, I've written down eight questions that you need to ask of yourself concerning this relationship before you ever marry. Now, you can probably think of more, and you should, and maybe mom and dad can help you with that. 
But these are questions I think are vital, okay? Vital that you as a young woman honestly ask yourself concerning this man you're about to marry. Number one, this is number one for a reason. This is number one that I would put up there. Does he make me feel safe? Does he make me feel safe? Now, this has nothing to do about whether he's a believer or not. Asking that question, that's on down the line. That's fine. I'm saying to you this. Does this man ever frighten you? Do you ever feel as though that he's volatile and explosive and that any moment he may turn on you? Do you ever feel that? If you do, then run. Okay? If you think that you can change him, you can't. question is, can you trust him? Can I trust him not to be abusive? If you can't trust him now, you're not going to be able to trust him when you marry him. So this is a hard question. And I, here's the problem that young girls have. But I, I feel, you see, I feel, this is what you go by. This is your mistake. I love him. I know that. This is what getting to know a person in, in your, your initial contact with an individual, it's all about the feeling. It's all about the emotion. It's the desire, the passion. And we talk ourselves into marriage. I have, I have sat through counseling sessions time after time where a woman says, God wants me to get out of this marriage. Why? I made a terrible mistake. Sorry. But you made it. You need to be asking this question. How does he make me feel? Do I feel safe with him? Here's a second question. Do I feel valued? Does he have does he feel like I'm a valuable person? Does he respect my opinion? Does he ask for my thoughts? Does he even care? Is he prone to go out and make decisions and just do his own thing? Or does he ever consult with me? If he does it now, it only gets worse when you get married. So let that be a, a something that at least is a red flag for you. Here's the third one. Do I feel honored? Do I feel honored? Does he really appreciate me? Does he care anything about my needs? What does he do to encourage me? If you are dating a man that puts you down, then get away from him. You understand? Do not go through with this. You need a person that understands that the man lifts the woman up. He encourages her. He builds her up. You see, every woman... Deserves that. Question number four. Do I feel led or do I feel controlled? There's a big difference. Does the man help you and you feel comfortable with him? You think, you know, if I marry this guy, I could follow him anywhere because I know that he cares about me. Or do you just feel manipulated and controlled? Do you feel like he's overly possessive? See, these are all red lights for young women. You need to pay attention to this. Here's the question number five. Do I feel cared for? Do I feel cared for? Does he pay or do I pay most of the time? Does he have a job? Does he keep a job? Does he work hard? Does he care about spending his money on me? Am I important to him that way? Or is he always taking from me? That's an indicator that you need to be careful of. 
because he's probably going to grow up to be irresponsible with money. What are his hopes and dreams? You ought to know that. If he doesn't have any, that ought to be a red flag to you. Number six, is he kind to me? Is he kind? Does he consider my feelings and my needs? How does he treat me? How does he talk to me? How does he treat other people? See, that's a good indication. Is he, kind? is he just a kind person? Number seven, what is his relationship with the Lord? Does he have one? Is church important to him? Is this something that is a part of his life? Is he a man of integrity? Does he have a moral compass? I mean, what am I getting into here? If this man has no spiritual aptitude, I guess, I don't know, no spiritual life about him, then don't marry him. Now, please understand this, okay? Nobody's perfect when you marry them. That's not what I'm saying. Everybody has to grow and change. A young man doesn't know how to be a husband. But you're not so much looking for that. You're looking for, does he know how to love me? Does he know how to treat a, a woman? He'll grow into the role of leader. But can he, do I trust him enough to take that step to get me there? Here's another question. The last one is that I would throw out is this. I would investigate and pay close attention to the relationship between his mom and dad. Now, this is important, okay? Most people emulate the example that they have seen in the home. It takes a strong person to make a conscious decision not to be like that. And so if mom and dad have been bickering and fighting all of their married life and they can't stand each other, then you better really examine how he feels about that and what he thinks about that. If he comes from a broken home, then you need to pay attention to that because is that going to be something that he takes lightly or is he going to be committed to this? These are just questions, just logical questions that you need to be asking before you enter into this. Because remember, God has said to you, you're free to choose, but when you choose, this is how you are, this is how it is to be, that you follow the leadership of this man. Now, I have told you that, he says, for a reason. It has nothing to do with value, none of that. He said, this is just for logistics, to maintain the integrity of the home that you willingly are coming under his leadership. And that's what marriage is. Now, gals, listen to me. Don't ever enter into marriage to a man thinking that you're going to change him. Okay? I've seen this happen more times than you, you can believe, and I, I don't understand it. But there's something about a woman, uh, maybe it's part of her nurturing, um, that she desires to nurture and to love, and to change things, make it better. And there's some men you're not going to change. Only God can. And, you know, and we need to pray that God will, but you don't need to be the victim. You don't need to marry him until he does. And so there has to be a, a logical, thought-through understanding of the man that you are putting in authority over you. And do you really trust this guy to be the man that God wants him to be? And that's really what it comes down to. Tough decisions. The reason there needs to be a lot of prayer, a lot of examination, a lot of discussion. A lot of discussion with older people who can see things you can't. And to help you to give you some guidance and that sort of thing. God will honor you, you women. God will honor you when you assume the role that God has given you. 
God will not honor you if you butt heads all the time and try to control everything. Then your marriage is going to suffer and fail you. But when you willingly say, okay, as unto the Lord, I submit to this, then God will bless. And you'll be amazed at what God does in your husband. Now, this is very important, okay? If you will just get out of the way, God will change your man like you can't believe. But you have to get out of the way. And sometimes I've seen women who just get in the way. It's like they run interference for an irresponsible man. Get out of the way. Don't protect him. Let God deal with him. Because God has got to bring him up and train him. He said, just let God deal with him. Because a man has to grow. We'll talk more about this as we look at the husband's responsibilities and, and deal with that. But just um, understand that if you want the blessings of God on your marriage, your future, then you do it God's way. Remember, it's a choice, okay? One last verse, and here it is very quickly. John 3, 3. Jesus is talking, and he says, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again. It's not about how you act or what you do or what you choose to do or not to do. That's not it. It's not what salvation is about. Salvation is about being changed from the inside out for God to give you a new birth. And that happens by faith. You understand that you're a sinner. God has already told you that. You believe it. But I'm trusting what Jesus did on the cross. I believe that Jesus died for me. And God says, when you believe that, my spirit comes in, and you are born again. That's what salvation is. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you need to put your faith in Christ, then do that right there where you sit. It's that simple. Just submit to what the Lord has said. You're a sinner. Admit it and accept his free gift of forgiveness. If you are a young woman hoping and contemplating marriage, then please take to heart what you've heard today, what God expects of you, what God wants from you. If you are in a marriage where it's kind of rocky and things aren't working out, maybe some of the problems we've mentioned are, are raising their ugly heads, then seek counsel. Seek counsel or talk to somebody about that. Maybe some of you just need to pray and confess your own sinfulness, your own selfishness. And recommit yourself to the marriage to be the person God told you to be. And then watch miraculous things happen as God deals with your marriage. Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we thank you for the marriage. We thank you for home. We thank you for family. Father, the love between a man and a woman. Father, we pray for each and every person that is here, whether they are married or not that the marriage that they have, you will restore if it is broken. But, Father, the marriage that they will have, that, Father, it will be a good one because they've made a commitment to put you first and to walk with you and to allow you to change hearts. Father, that is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.